Welcome to Practically Political. Happy Easter, happy Passover. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. Let's get to it. All right, Dave, why do you think Alvin Bragg pulled this ridiculous legal stunt in bringing these charges against Trump? It seems like he's grasping for straws and he's living in a bubble. Even some of Trump's most fiercest critics say that this is a nothing burger. Was he doing this just to fulfill a vengeful campaign promise? Well, first of all, before I answer the question, let me say that it's a sad day for the country, irrespective of what you think of the former president, to have him indicted, to have him looking sad and slumped in the courtroom. Uh, I don't care what bravado he puts on, being indicted sucks. I don't care who you are, it's, it's, it's humiliating. And he, he didn't even get his mug shot, which I know that, that he wanted. So, but putting all that aside, uh, it's while it's certainly not a nothing burger or frivolous, I do believe of the four lawsuits, and again, he's he's facing one for January 6th, he's facing one for the Mar-a-Lago documents, you know, he's he's got some major legal problems. And so I think this of the four is the weakest. The Georgia one, in my opinion, is probably the strongest of the four. But um, I think that there are 34 counts, and I think that... Uh, uh, Bragg is certainly an honorable guy, and he's trying to deal with all this the, the Jim Jordans who are trying to have a circus. And Jim Jordan's been sucking air in terms of trying to come up with something to throw get, throw against the wall. So they're trying to have a a uh, uh, little hearing in New York to do the sideshow. But the, the the bottom line is it's it's a sad day for the country, and um, the former president is definitely weakened. And when you consider all the stuff that's going on at Fox News as well, I, I kind of felt sorry for Tucker Carlson, the guy who said that he hates him passionately. I had to go through a whole hour interview with him where Trump said, oh, it was a beautiful hearing. People were crying. So anyway, I, I think it's a sad day for the country, as I said. And I think that uh, um, it just for, will former, further polarize an already polarized nation. So. I hope we can move past it, but I don't think we're going to be able to do it until uh, this situation is at least further along. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Well, I agree. It's a sad day for the country. And so we shared that. But I do think it actually made him stronger. I mean, he raised $10 million off it as poll numbers went up in the primary. Uh, whether or not he can win in the general is obviously the big question. But from a primary standpoint, it was a winner for him. So. Well, I agree. But the thing is, you know, the question you have to ask, is there a single independent voter who abandoned him in 2020 who's going to come back? And is there anyone who's undecided about this guy? <laughs> I, I mean, my gosh, I think that. Uh, so, again, it did make him stronger in the short run in the primary, whether in the long run, we'll see. And it did help him raise some more money, which once again is fleecing working class people out of their hard earned money. The, the guy's supposedly a billionaire. You think he could pay his own legal expenses, but apparently not. So, uh, but it, it's going to hurt him in the general. And, it's, and what's more important, sadly, it makes it harder for the party to move past him. And until the party moves past him, I don't think that they're going to be able to uh, really field someone who can win in the, in the general. So, my question for you involves this uh, election in Wisconsin. As you know, there was an election for a Supreme Court seat in Wisconsin. 
Uh, 1% is considered a blowout in Wisconsin. That's the last two presidential elections were decided by fewer than uh, 30,000 votes. And yet this uh, Janet Prasichowicz won by 11 points, a huge blowout. So my question for you is what lessons can, can and should the GOP take from this? And what if anything, will the party change after such a devastating loss? Well, I think people are trying to nationalize this and say this was all about abortion, but I actually think it has more to do with candidate quality and also the fact that progressives continue to meddle in Republican primaries. So in this Republican primary, Jennifer Doro, who was more, I think, electable in a general, she was pummeled by progressive groups who spent... Uh, so there's a progressive group called a Better Wisconsin Together Political Fund, left wing. They spent $2.15 million to boost up the weaker candidate, Daniel Kelly, who ended up winning the primary. Daniel Kelly was a flawed candidate. He already had lost an election for a judgeship by about the same margin, about 10 points. So I don't think you can uh, extrapolate and say, oh, there's this, you know, uh, insurmountable, uh, you know, attack against pro-life thought and pro-life judges. It's just not true. I, I think that this guy, Daniel Kelly, was he just he wasn't able to go beyond the conservative MAGA base, which you, you need to that, you know, to stand on it, to be to get your your base out. You need you need that to be motivated, but you got to grow beyond that. And I think ultimately he just couldn't do it. So I think that, uh, that that's something that I'm really not hearing lost or that's lost in the mix. And then the fact that, yeah, Democrats were spending so much in these primaries. Uh, and if they actually thought these MAGA candidates were a threat to democracy, they wouldn't be spending $2 million to help the MAGA candidate. I think it's disingenuous. What do you think? Well, first of all, Dan Kelly was a former member of the Wisconsin Supreme Court. So it's not as if he hadn't been there before. Uh, secondly, uh, what happened was that, again, it's not so much abortion, though that's a major thing. It's how extreme the party is on abortion. For example, the legislature could not even pass a, a, an exception for rape or incest. Now, I know you don't believe in that, but uh, more than six out of seven Americans uh, support an exception for rape or incest. And this is what uh, is really holding the party down. And, it, and he couldn't go beyond the MAGA base because the three of the major pro-life uh, causes that were supporting him wouldn't let him. And by the way, that advice that you're giving him to move past the MAGA base, maybe you can pass that on to the former president and some of the other candidates who are running, because I think it would be very helpful. But the, the bottom line is that this is the extremism that people perceive the Republican Party to have. That's why the party did so poorly in the in the midterms, underperformed expectations. And, you know, you have to remember that uh, particularly younger people, you know, they don't care so much about parties. They, they, they care about issues. And it seemed only last week that the GOP was, and a lot of these pro-life people were saying, oh, don't worry, we just want to return to the states. It's a state's right issue. Now you're trying to ban a pill that's been legal and safer than Tylenol and was approved during the Clinton administration. So, you know, again, you didn't really answer what the party is going to do to move ahead of this other than moving outside the MAGA base. But it's a real problem. I think that the, that uh, abortion is a, is a serious quagmire. 
Well, we got to move on to the next topic, but I'm sure we're going to revisit this, Dave. I want to ask you, uh, Jill Biden, Jill, the wife, not Joe, um, I think she personally stepped in it because she offered to bring both of the women's basketball teams from the college championship March Madness to the White House. And Angel Reese, who was the star and the standout from Louisiana, she said, no, this isn't fair. Um, And Angel is African-American. And she said, there's no way that Jill would have done that if the Iowa team, which was led by Caitlin Clark, who is white, um, and they were both making the same sort of hand gestures. Um, And so Jill Biden is taking a beating in the black press. And this is on top of her breakfast tacos comment about Latinos. Is people are people like Jill Biden part of why minorities are heading toward the GOP? No. Well, if you're when when you say minorities heading to the GOP, we're you're referring to the 2020 presidential election. And we've talked about this before. And this is something that Democrats need to be careful of, because in 2018, they had it nailed in terms of talking about kitchen table issues. That's where there is very little distance between Trump voters and them. But in 2020, it was defund the police and the Green New Deal and Medicare for all and confiscating guns. That's why uh, the black and Latino voters uh, moved not hugely, but partially away from the Democrats. They weren't going towards someone who called them, you know, drug dealers and smugglers and God knows what else. But uh, I think that as far as Jill Biden goes, it's silly to invite two teams. When, when a team wins a championship, you invite that team. But again, this is, to me, a, a pretty minor issue con- considering what we have going on. Um, but I do think, again, that when you look at a lot of women, uh, particularly unmarried women who have been deserting the GOP in droves, that's what the Republican Party should be focusing on more not, uh, you know, who gets invited where. But again, if it, if it were I, I would have just invited one team. That is the tradition. That's what has always been done. We agree. Okay. So my, my thoughts for you is, Kara, you and I have known each other for a long time. We do this show respectfully, but I'm becoming a little concerned about what I think is your increasing um, Trump derangement syndrome. I think you're getting a little more and more uh, sucked into the cult. And I say that because, you know, even the four, all the news anchors on Fox admit that the election wasn't stolen, but you still won't deny that the election was stolen. Everyone from Mitch McConnell to Kevin McCarthy to Lindsey Graham, to all of us who saw it with our own eyes, believes Trump was largely responsible for the insurrection on January 6th. You say he wasn't. And then you say that he's been treated unfairly, which to me is the richest of the rich. My reaction for that is, well, excuse my face for getting in the way of your fist. I mean, this is a guy who's gotten the biggest pass from the legal system than anyone in history. He's gotten more free media than anyone in history. So the bottom line is that for and we also need the, you know, the adults and people like you who are smart and reasonable to help the party move past Trump. So what I think you need is a Trump exorcism. And as your supporter and confidant, I'll be with you every step of the way. What do you think? I don't. Well, Dave, you're not. You've said yourself you're not a religious person, so I don't. I don't think you believe in exorcism. So I. 
I just don't think that's <laughs> I up mean, for that's us. A, so, okay. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's not really an answer, but but uh, I can you can you see how one might think that? Look, I've said before, I for this primary, I'm staying neutral. So I don't know why you say you think I'm leaning towards some person or not. I'm going to support whoever comes out of out of the primary at the end of the day. Maybe it's Ron DeSantis. Maybe it's Tim Scott. Maybe it is Donald Trump. I don't know. I think uh, from my perspective, I'm more interested in the ideas and the policy than the personality. Um, and it is true that Trump was treated like the whole Russiagate, the fact that we spent tens of millions of dollars on the Mueller report, which ended up exonerating the president. It was all based on hearsay and lies and things that were totally unproven. So and, and even Mueller himself didn't even understand the report. It showed how, how little he understood and, and grasped. Um, what happened with Fusion GPS and and all the corruption? So, uh, so I stand by that statement that Trump has been treated unfairly. But I think also that I agree. Like 2022 should have been a wake up call in terms of the Republicans. They should have easily won the Senate. And I think th that talking about the 2020 election is a f just a nothing. Like it's a way to turn off people from the middle. So we agree on that. I I think I think going forward, Trump's probably going to be focused more on this indictment than on 2020. But I, I think from my perspective, I want the candidates to be talking about ideas and policies. Like I, I think President Trump should have some courage when it comes to Social Security. There's a really great op-ed in The Wall Street Journal this week talking about how it, the headline was the Biden-Trump Social Security cuts because both of those people say they don't want to touch Social Security. Well, guess what? In 11 years, when the trust fund runs out, there's going to be a 23% cut in benefits. So, so, and that's in the law. So they're, they're cowardice in terms of not structuring things and making changes uh, because it's going to be an across the board cut versus making substantive reforms. I'd rather be talking about that than talking about Trump's personality or, or any of this stuff or the 2020 election. Well, I agree. First of all, Bill Barr smothered the Mueller report. Uh, and secondly, there is no question that uh, that the Trump campaign tried to engage with Russia, Russia. Russia Russia tried to meddle. But as I've said, it wasn't enough to uh, sway the election. He won the election or rather Hillary lost the election fair and square. But, uh, you know, you also talk about you want to focus on ideas. Well, the Republican Party doesn't have any ideas. I mean, Kevin, McC that's the problem. You know, it's all it's all grievance. It's all fomenting anger. Kevin McCarthy, the smartest thing Biden did was he said, I will negotiate and talk to you about the death ceiling when you come up with spending cuts. And he he won't because they can't. The math isn't there. And uh and and, you know, so that's that's really the issue is that there's that the party is. Uh, bereft of ideas now being fair and balanced. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a catchy slogan. Maybe I should trademark that one, but being fair and balanced. I agree. Both Biden and Trump are dropping the ball on, on entitlements. And while it was a political win for the president to bring it up at the state of the union, it's a big loser for the country because the math is not there. The trust fund is going to run out of money and Again, sooner or later, the, the cuts are going to be, be voluntary or they're going to be mandatory. So I really do believe that that something needs to be done. And there are some courageous senators like Bill Cassidy 
who have come out and said, look, uh, this is not a matter of choice. We have to act on this. And that's one of the reasons Trump got elected, because he was the first uh, Republican that said, I'm not going to touch entitlements. You know, he wasn't the Paul Ryan type who said, oh, well, we have to go down and cut this and cut that, even though that was one of the few things that Paul Ryan said that I agreed with in, in, uh, in, some, in terms of his fiscal policy. So I agree. It's a, we're, we're really stuck on these entitlements. And both the former president and the current president have dug the hole deeper. But this problem could be solved as well as the GOP's woes if the party had any, any ideas. We, we've, you know, we've, we've talked about this before. You have Marjorie Taylor Greene talking about the despacho police. You know, the Republican Party used to be the party of ideas and, and intellect, you know, and now she's the apotheosis of the dumbing down of the party, which started with Sarah Palin and has uh, come to its fruition. And these people are not rational people. Say what you want about the Dems, but they, along, under Nancy Pelosi, they, they realized that you had to pass certain bills. But I don't see Matt Gates or Marjorie Taylor Greene or Paul Gosar or any of these people coming around to uh, uh, prevent us from defaulting on the debt. Well, I'll give you the last word. Well, Jody Arrington, who's uh, running the budget with McCarthy, he's he both of them have actually come up with a substantive list of cuts that they are proposing. So that's really? actually they have. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then also savings. So, for example, recouping a lot of the unspent covid funds. And even that's controversial for the Democrats. Um, they've proposed uh, cuts in the non-discretionary and non-defense sorry, the def non-defense discretionary spending, they've outlined some specific cuts. Um, Politico had the detail. It was like a shopping list of all the things that they have proposed. So, but it's Biden is the one who's refusing to come and talk to them. He's the one who's being intransigent about it. So I, I think, yeah, I agree. Both sides need to come to the table, but the Republicans have put forward ideas on that. And they have lots of ideas. They have ideas on school choice. They have ideas on reducing crime. They have ideas on, uh, yeah, fiscal cuts and, and also restructuring welfare so that it is a system that lifts you up instead of entraps you. Um, I was just at American Enterprise Institute last night. They had a great documentary about, it was called Gotham, about the rise of Manhattan under Rudy Giuliani and then Mayor Bloomberg after that, who was a Republican and then became independent. Um, but it was two Republican terms, one after the other, which had never been seen. And that was the highlight in the 20th century and early 21st century of New York is under these Republican ideas that were percolated, uh, broken windows policing. And, and yeah, did they go too far sometimes with stop and frisk? Yes, they did. But overall, quality of life improved, economic vibrancy, it all happened under Republican ideas. So I think we're gonna have to disagree on that. But uh, but yeah, that's what this show's about. Well, I will just say one thing uh, to wrap us up, and that is Biden has said as soon as he gets a list of proposed spending cuts, he, he will meet with McCarthy. He's been saying that for months. And uh, actually, crime hit its low against Bill under Bill de Blasio, who I agree was a terrible mayor. And finally, uh, the fact that you call Michael Bloomberg a Republican, I find is quite entertaining because I don't think there's anyone else in the party these days that would join you in that. But uh, as always, a very, very lively and most importantly, respectful debate. We have so much to talk about. And... Uh, just real quickly, uh, maybe you could tell our viewers about uh, the special setup we have with a guest for our next podcast. 
Yeah, no, so we're excited for those of you who have been listening regularly. You listen to Dave and I coming from both on the Republican side, but different lanes in the Republican conservative movement. Well, we're bringing in another voice. Her name is Masada Siegel. She is progressive, um, but she's a reasonable progressive. So she's one of those ones that we need more of. And I think it's going to be lively. She's a journalist. She's traveled all over the world from Israel. She brings a very interesting Jewish perspective. So I think we're going to have, as Dave always points out, civil exchange, uh, but it's going to be lively and she's going to bring some great ideas. Excellent. Well, that show is scheduled for Thursday, April 20th. So we look forward to uh, having you all there. I'm Dave Spencer. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time.